Hey guys, welcome to week eight key takeaways here on the NIL podcast feed. Um, start that over again. All right, guys, welcome to Key Takeaways Week 8 here on the NIL podcast feed. As always, Austin, your host, thank you guys so much again for all of your support. Um, you know, I know I say it every week, but really, you know, we couldn't do everything that we're doing here at C2C without you guys. Uh, nine points here on the Key Takeaways this week, so let's jump right into it here. And as always, we are starting off with target leaders. I... I'll briefly go through all the names, but there are just a couple that I want to touch on. I think by now we have pretty reasonable expectations or or what I think are probably correct expectations on a week-to-week basis for a lot of the names that that pop up on here. Um, but just just some guys that I think you know might still be available in your league if you're looking kind of for a late season push and maybe you have some waiver additions left over or guys that I just think the value, uh, might not be correct on them currently, uh, especially based, you know, if we're just looking at their CFF production, which is really what this is, and kind of what the value uh, is that they can bring to you uh, at the, through the end of the year. So um, names on the list here this week. I think we've got a pretty interesting mix of guys that we see often on here and then some uh, first time or, or maybe second time names. And those second timers kind of tend to be the ones that are a little more interesting. Uh, Lincoln Victor led this week uh, in targets, had almost 20. Uh, I think, you know, he, we talked about not starting him this week because we didn't trust the health and Oregon's defense and, uh, that, 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 uh, not going to go down as one of my smarter takes on the year. Um, I think he's pretty locked in for the rest of the year, you know, not, not too much worry there. He's definitely the favorite guy there. If you are not competing and you have him, I do think selling him in the range of a second or third round pick, depending on what your league's, uh, you know, trade market is like, I think, you know, that that's good. I, I really would try not to go cheaper than a fourth or a fifth. Um, if, if you can, I know some leagues can be really stingy. I, I've had leagues in the past where, you know, week eight, week nine roll around and the best I can get is like a 10th. I don't love doing that. And there does become a point in the, in depending on the, the value there where you just, you, you eat it, you say maybe the NFL ends up liking this guy or something. And I don't, I'll be truthfully honest. Some of these guys, Lincoln, Victor, especially, I don't really have an NFL draft opinion on them. I have either haven't really watched them or like, just quite frankly, I've bucketed them so long ago into the probably not an NFL prospect kind of tier. And that can occasionally come back to bite us in the butt. Um, But he's not a guy that I've really heard anybody talk about. I'd imagine at best he goes to like the second or third tier uh, year end senior 
bowl game circuit type type all-star game circuit. So I, I, there does become a point where, you know, anything below maybe a 10th round pick. And I just say, I'll just, I'll hold them. And maybe the NFL kind of likes him. I don't know. I, I, I don't know. It, it gets tough after that. Uh, Kenneth Womack from Western Michigan had 17 targets this week. And I do want to highlight him. I talked about him a little bit in the article, I believe 38 targets over his last three games. Um, he has quickly become their go-to guy on the offense overall. Um, he's, I mean, he, a, a lot of these guys that kind of break out in the Mac really specifically are just like low a dot five, five, eight, one seventy slot receivers that just, you know, in the Mac play, a lot of these teams can pass the ball a little bit more. Um, the offensive line can hold up to the pressure, you know, it's it, some of those kinds of things. So guys like Womack kind of pop up every year as, as uh, potential fantasy options. Over the past uh, four games, really, he had eight uh, eight targets against Ball State, 15 against Mississippi State, six against Miami of Ohio, and then 17 this past week against Ohio. He's gone over 100 yards once, one touchdown in that stretch. I mean, he's not getting high-value targets, but at some point, kind of like Noah Smith from Sam Houston State, who also pops up on here again for, I believe, the third week in, in the last four, maybe, for him. It's just like the 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 value of the targets isn't high, but at some point you just get enough of them that it doesn't really matter. Like 14 catches for 90 yards, and he did have a touchdown this week. You take out that touchdown, you know, 14 for 90, and even in a half PPR league, it's still 16 points on a guy that's doing like essentially nothing in an offense, but he gets peppered with targets. So I think Womack is an interesting guy. If you've got some ads, I think I feel pretty good about him. I don't know that I'd want to start him week in, week out, just because, again, he the ceiling really is not going to be there most weeks, but... Um, he's, you know, you get a week where you've got some buys and some injuries and all of a sudden you're playing a freshman who you're praying catches a 40 yard touchdown. I mean, he can certainly fill in, in that capacity. Bub means is next. He had 16 targets as did Marvin Harrison jr. Not really going to talk about Marvin Harrison. We all know what he is at this point means. I believe was on Bruce Feldman's freak list this year. Uber athlete. He's at Pitt. Um, I don't really care for him as a player that much. I just don't think he's a very good football player, but he does seem to kind of have a connection with the new quarterback there, Pitt Christian Bayou, who's stepped in, transferred over from Penn State this offseason. Um, so I think he's one to monitor. He's basically, I mean, the 16 targets is a huge outlier for him. He only has 26 in his past three. Um, so, you know, not a guy that I think is really a high priority, um, but, you know, you can make a determination on that. If you've got unlimited waiver ads, you know, maybe, maybe you stick on the end of a roster. Uh, Devontae Walker shows up. I, I mean, just very clearly the go-to guy there at this point. And I thought it would be Nate McCollum because we thought Walker would be out. And then once Walker came back, I thought this could kind of be an offense that could get two guys going. It's really just been the Walker show. So, you know, Walker stocks way up um, CFF. I, I think he'll just be a monster uh, down the stretch here. Uh, 30 targets you know, just over the past three weeks coming in, you know, essentially unprepared. I don't even think they thought that he would play. So cool stuff there. Noah Smith, I mentioned from Sam Houston State. I'm, I'm finally just, yeah, cool. Go at him. He's still less than 20% roster on fan tracks. Good player um, for what the Sam Houston offense wants him to do. Um, Malik Washington on here has 14. No real info there. Sam Wigless, first time I believe he's popped up on here. Uh, so did uh, tied for 13 here. Weakless, Trayvon Rudolph, Daniel George, all guys that we kind of expected big things from this year. Hasn't really been going well for him. Uh, I think this is encouraging for Wigless. Um, the person who has him might 
be pretty desperate to sell because he hasn't been very good this year. Maybe go get him. This could be turning the corner a little bit for him. Rudolph and George, I don't think are buys at this stage currently. If you can sell them after this kind of performance, uh, not necessarily a bad thing. I just, I don't know if the offenses that they are functioning in right now are good enough to consistently keep them productive on a week-to-week basis. Tied with them, those those names, uh, Alec Aomenor from Stanford. We talked a little bit about him last week on the show. Talked about him on Campus Life. Um, I mean, he had that what almost 300-yard performance against Colorado last week, and I said, yeah, it's Colorado. This is like the outlier of all outliers for him. He's he's not even getting close to double digit targets. And all of a sudden he goes for 18 last week. Um, you know, he hadn't had more than four catches in any game this season. Hadn't had more. He had, he had one game with 89 yards and then nothing about 41 yards the rest of the season before last week. But then this week, 12 targets against UCLA, eight catches, 86 yards. Um, you know, it's not, not an awful performance. And I think that's pretty solid volume. And so, you know, as I, I try to do, if, if new information's coming in that that goes against what I thought before, I'll change change my mind here. And I think this is a guy that, again, if I have unlimited waiver ads or just the waiver wire is so empty right now, I desperately need a receiver to kind of plug in. Then I think Ao Minor is a guy that I would look at. Um, I wouldn't just do it because you have one waiver ad left. If you're in a league that has limited waivers and you only have one. I'm probably more interested in trying to find some sort of a stash option for next year. That's just me. Amanor could fall in that category because we like Stanford's offense. Uh, Troy Taylor, who's their head coach, uh, historically has run offenses that run a ton of plays. So moving forward, assuming they can kind of get the O-line issues figured out and, and some of those things, could he be extremely productive again next year he he very well could so i i know there there is some potential future value there um so you know i i i'm probably not going after him this week but there are definitely some situations where you could convince me to do that uh michael brown stevens from usf is on here don't really have a strong opinion on him uh tied for 12 the last couple names here keandre lambert smith from penn state malachi corley Jalen polk uh squirrel white ricky white and chris mitchell um, I think most of these names we kind of expect. Uh, I'm not really sure why Polk is getting so many targets. I mean, I know McMillan's still not 100% health, um, but uh, probably not coincidence that the games that he's getting big targets are games that they're not really uh, necessarily always functioning that highly as an offense. Um, Ricky White's the only other real name here, I think, you know, just, just to point him out. Um, UNLV basically has two receivers that they go to all the time. That's what they do. The offense has been better than we thought it was going to be. He's not a target monster every week, which is why I'm not uh, you know, going to add him off of waivers. But if I have him, there are some weeks I started him a couple places this week. Uh, there are some other weeks we could probably convince me. So Ricky White there. Uh, and then Squirrel White is on here too. And I think this was a really encouraging performance. And I think there are going to be definitely some rosters this week where you can't uh, probably afford not to start him with some of the teams that are looking like they're on by. Um, I just wouldn't, I don't feel that confident in it. I really want to see him do it again, but I also know the college football season is so short that you can't always necessarily, uh, you know, wait for too long. Cause that you just don't have, it's not even the NFL season, which is super short. And this is, uh, you know, half as half as long or, you know, two thirds as long or whatever. So, um, so yeah, squirrel white, you know, if you want to plug him into lineups this week, I wouldn't, 
uh, begrudge you for doing it, but uh, I, I have a league or two where I'm debating it. I'll get back to you later this week with uh, what I'm deciding to do there. Freshman snap counts. I'll drop them in the discord uh, here today for everybody as I do every week. Um, not really anything. Uh, two names that I think jump out to me right away. Uh, well, actually, two that jump out and the fact that Dante Moore got benched this week, I think is uh, interesting, especially with the cupcake defensive uh, matchup that they had there. But I digress. Um Malachi Coleman and Nikolai Harbor are the two names that I uh, just want to kind of highlight. They both got Harbor got sixty or yeah seventy seven percent of the snaps this week. Coleman got sixty four. They've both been trending in that direction, which I think is really really big. This isn't just a a one week spot. They've both kind of been uh, gradually improving week over week. Uh, Harbor, if we consider him a wide receiver, whatever he passed uh, the yardage year one zero threshold this week, so. Um, it, it's interesting. And this is why this is why the year one zero thresholds are where they are. He's basically getting like no targets and he's getting like one target a week and it's one catch for 44 yards. Now that, that's good. I mean, he's, he's gotten over a hundred yards. I mean, I, um, he's not like one of these guys that's he's probably not going to get close to the catch threshold if I had to guess, although maybe he will. Um, yeah, on the season, he has four catches for 102 yards. So, um, they're, they're, they're not really working him a ton but he is getting out there a lot uh he's playing out wide about 80 percent of the time which i actually find really interesting wondering exactly how they'll rotate some of these guys Leggett, wells and him if and when everybody's healthy all at one time but encouraging news there and then coleman was a guy that i think when we've been talking about potential zeros over the past few weeks we said you know I, tentatively coleman might get there just because they have nothing in front of him and I think I, I wasn't panicking on him early because I he's the kind of guy that you don't he's not starting out of the gate, kind of unrefined, but just so athletic at a school like Nebraska that they had to roll him out there, and that has proven to be the case. And I, he's getting close; he's not quite past uh, year one zero thresholds yet, but I believe he has eighty something yards. I'm looking right now here to confirm. Oh no, he has forty nine yards. Okay. So um, two catches, 49 yards, one touchdown. Um, so he's, he's, he's getting a little bit closer there. Um, one player I, just, I do just want to toss out that really confused me. I saw, uh, I think it was Bud Elliott saying that he was really impressed that Hakeem Williams was getting a lot of high-pressure snaps for Florida State this week. He played three snaps. So I don't know if he was looking at somebody else. He did have one catch for, like, no yardage at all. Because um, I was like, oh, maybe Hakeem Williams going to get – gonna get there i still don't think uh he get to the year one zero thresholds but that's just my read on that situation currently um not really going to talk about the schools that ran a ton of snaps this week i i think we're starting to get to the point of the year where most of the teams that are running a ton of plays are teams that we'd expect i think really the way to look at that information over the next couple of weeks as i display it is just you know are there pieces to these offenses that people aren't accounting for that are probably cheaper than they should be? And I think Jacksonville state would be because they ran the most snap uh, played uh, the most offensive snaps this week, 94. I think they would be if they like they, they have, I think they've kind of figured out their running back situation, although Malik Jackson is hurt. Um, but they've had a couple different quarterbacks due to injury slash not playing that great. The wide receivers aren't 
really any good there, but Rich Rod does, you know, produce good offenses. So I'll be paying attention to that offense mostly down the stretch just to see if anybody steps up because that could be a guy that's interesting next year, assuming that they have some eligibility left. Waivers for this week. I mentioned Noah Smith earlier. He's still 16% rostered on fan tracks. I think he should be a lot closer to 50%. And I think part of it, I, I don't really know exactly why that is, but definitely uh, should be added uh, if you need a wide receiver or any sort of just, you know, startable production week in, week out. I think he's going to give that to you. Uh, three quarterbacks on the list here this week. They're all deep ads. These are not priority players for me by any stretch of the imagination, but I know, especially, you know, uh, injuries and buys start stacking up and quarterback is one of those that's just, you know, tough, tough. If you start losing some of these guys, cause you probably aren't carrying a ton of them on your bench. And I'm like wide running back wide receiver where some guys rotate out there for some snaps and maybe you get lucky with some production. If a guy's not playing, he's not playing. So, uh, middle Tennessee's, uh, Nicholas Vadiato, I think is how you say it. Uh, he's got 425 plus per point performances in his past five games. Was pretty good this week against Liberty, and that's probably one of the tougher matchups that he has left or really would have had on his schedule at all this year. Um, but I think he's been pretty solid. I, that offense as a whole has been a little bit better than uh, I think we all thought it would be. The only other piece of that offense that's really intriguing at all is their tight end, Willis. Uh, Holden Willis, I think is his name. I don't have it in front of me here. Um, but th those kind of seem to be the two guys that, that are intriguing. So, you know, a name to throw out there. Chandler Rogers in North Texas, I think, is at least a name that we're a little all more familiar with if you've been playing C2C leagues for a few years. Um, gone over 30 points in four of his last five games. He's throwing the ball a ton. About I think he's averaging almost exactly 40 pass attempts per game uh, over the past five games. He's adding three to five fantasy points on the ground every single week, which, I mean, is great. That really adds up. He's not running for 102 scores, but... Uh, you know, we're talking, we're talking like deep, like you're just totally screwed a quarterback right now, kind of guys. So, not bad there. And then Jordan McLeod over at uh, uh, James Madison is the other guy that I do want to highlight. Uh, McLeod has, quite frankly, been just really, really bad everywhere he's been, except this year they've they've turned him around there uh, at JMU. He's mobile. He, which you know, it gives him a really nice floor there. He's been way more accurate than I thought he would be this year. I believe he's completing close to 65% of his passes on the season. If you had told me that before the year began, I probably would have laughed. So, um, and I believe he has another, another year of eligibility if he wants it. So um, I think that kind of makes him an intriguing option as well. Adam now wait to see how the offseason plays out. I think JMU, as long as they don't shake up that coaching staff too much, JMU might be one of those schools that's just pretty good every year moving forward in the in the G5, kind of like Coastal was before. And a lot of these small schools like that, it really depends on the, the, the coach. As soon as the coach leaves, uh, they tend to kind of regress a little bit. Um, but I, I think JMU uh, will probably continue to be pretty solid over the next couple of years. So uh, McLeod, a, a guy there that I like. And I do just want to really quickly touch on this Sione Vaki kid who's at Utah. I, I literally have no idea what to make of, of his profile and him really in the context of what we are doing here uh, in terms of, you know, projecting toward the NFL, current fantasy production, all of that kind of stuff. Because I think there's a lot of different competing, uh, you know, information that that really, really conflicts with each other. He's a safety who they're kind of turning into a running back, but also kind of 
turning into a wide receiver because he's just really dangerous with the ball in his hands. My questions for him, like, do they see that as a future for him? Or is this a just a desperation thing? Cause there's no brand Keithy. There's no Cameron rising. There's been a shakeup at running back. They've dealt with a ton of injuries back there. Um, I mean, I don't really know. I honestly don't know. Thomas Yasmin's out. I mean, is this just a total desperation play? It could be. I don't know if they consider him there long term or not. Um, I don't, you know, been connected to that. Is there an NFL outlook there? Is this an offense that I care enough about to be buying a ton of pieces in it? I, I don't exactly know. The running back there has generally been productive under Kyle Whittingham. But again, like, is this a full time role for him? Do they plan for him to do that? If not, is that a role that is that a job that I, I care about that he's doing there? But he's averaging almost 10 yards per carry. He's averaging 24 yards per reception. I mean, he's been crazy efficient. If you got some unlimited waivers or, or something like that and, and some bench spots to burn, I, I think he's interesting. I think he's really, really interesting. I don't want to make it sound like I'm poo-pooing him or um, you know saying that you know I don't think he's a good player or anything like that. That's not the case. And I think for some of these guys, especially a guy like Faki, these are the kind of players where if you do have the moves to make, the upside is enormous. And the downside is that you just spent a waiver claim in week nine of the college fantasy season on a player who ends up being nothing. So I think with the disproportionate, uh, you know, range of outcomes where like there's literally basically no risk or downside beyond maybe spending a, a waiver claim that you wouldn't want to if, if it's limited. I, I think he's a, a pretty interesting ad this week. Um, I don't know that I have any leagues that I have that kind of situation where I can go at him. I'll have to check and see this week. Uh, one other thing you might just want to check. I don't know what his eligibility is on fan tracks. He might not even show up in your free agents. I honestly don't know. You might have to do some research there. And if he doesn't, uh, maybe talk to your commissioner. Commissioner might not open it up depending on what the rules are. Um, they might say, you know, he's listed as a safety. We just play by, you know, whatever the default is. So that's where he is. But interesting player there, nonetheless. Uh, some injuries this week. I only highlighted a couple because I think that it seemed like there actually weren't a ton this year or a ton this week. Thank, thank God, because there's been some some uh, really just terrible weeks in terms of injuries the past uh, few weeks. But there are a couple of, of big ones. Quinn Ewers potentially being the biggest. He, uh, it came out last night, I believe Pete Tamil reported that he, um, uh, injured at the end of the game. It's a grade two AC joint sprain. It probably keeps him out several weeks, but they're saying that he's not done for the season. And I do think Texas is one of those schools that has uh, good enough backups, at least in theory, you know, in terms of what we think of them now to keep them afloat on their current pace until he can come back. I do think for the time being, this probably downgrades the receiving options there. From a fantasy perspective, Xavier Worthy, JT Sanders, Adonai Mitchell, I don't know that I love any of those guys until I kind of see what the quarterback situation looks like. Um, some of us don't have that luxury. Maybe you've had to play them and, you know, go ahead. But uh, I think realistically, until I see it, it probably, probably bumps them down a little bit. It probably helps the running backs a little bit. You know, I don't know if they want to give Jonathan Brooks 30 carries a game. Maybe they don't. Maybe we start seeing a little more CJ Baxter and they start to, you know, just kind of give more carries to the backfield because they don't want Malik Murphy or Arch Manning, probably Malik Murphy, but I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. Um, they don't think they want either of them throwing the ball a ton. And that offense hasn't been, you know, 70% neutral game pass script 
their neutral game script passing anyway. So um, that that's kind of my reaction to that news. And I don't really have any strong opinions on how it affects Quinn. I, I don't know enough about the injury to speculate there in terms of you know long-term outlook. Tyler Van Dyke, um, you never know how much of this is coaches just being full of crap. Because Cristobal did say all week that he thought Tyler Van Dyke would play. And then after the game, he told, I, I believe I saw that he told a reporter that that he was not lying, that that Van Dyke kind of had a flare-up in warm-ups and, and ended up not being able to go. I don't know. That leads me to believe that Tyler Van Dyke is probably close. Maybe one more week that he would miss. Um, but I think while he's out, and I think it's something to monitor, for instance, if you were planning on starting Xavier Restrepo next week, you can't start Xavier Restrepo if he's not there. Because Emery Williams... Might end up being good. I'm not going to pass judgment on a true freshman in their first start against Clemson. I think he performed well considering the circumstances, but he certainly wasn't uh, really keeping some of these guys uh, fantasy relevant, let's say. So, and I don't think, I think the nature of what they'll do offensively while Van Dyke is out is probably going to be a little more conservative. So, um, that's the impact there. Maybe, so I, I, prediction one more week max, and then Van Dyke will be back. And then Emeka Buka does sound like he was pretty close, although I did see some clips of him warming up before the game. And he didn't look great. Did really didn't look like he was that comfortable on the ankle. So I think if I had to guess, he misses at least one more game. But again, just a guess based on some clips that I saw from him warming up before the game. I could be completely wrong. I don't think it's going to be a long-term thing with him. But um, straight line looked fine. It's an ankle. It just when he was trying to kind of break down and change direction quickly, it didn't look great. But could be a pain tolerance thing. Who's to say? Uh, we'll, we'll keep an eye on that one moving forward. I talk about some uh, guys that have risen in my rankings here. Number six, um, Ollie Gordon is the big one. And I think Gordon, I, I don't think my reaction to what has transpired over the past year was wrong. Where I, I had him, I believe, in the 50 to 70 range last year, coming in as a freshman quarterback that I liked, but didn't see him really playing that much at all as a freshman. I, I was pretty sure on that. And then year two, I thought there was still a pretty good chance that some of the guys would be there, you know, Dominic Richardson, et cetera. They, they kind of tend to be a, a staff that favors seniority. So uh, I bumped him down a little bit this off season, probably closer to the nineties with kind of the weird coaching strategy uh, that Gundy employed where he kind of just, Crap talked Ollie Gordon out of nowhere uh, repeatedly, but he, once he got that job, he's, he's bounced back over the past month, uh, 687 rush yards, 135 receiving yards, seven touchdowns. I wanted to kind of look and I went back and watched the past two games, his touches to see what I thought of him in terms of long-term outlook. Cause I think that was a little bit of a question mark for me, for him coming out of high school. He's got a really small lower half, which I think does impact his kind of contact balance and ability to drive through defenders at times. Um, so I, I sat down and watched him. <clears throat> and I think there are, he's a good player. I think he's going to be really productive for college. But I do think there are a couple issues with the profile. The first one is really that I think he is, he's going to get a lot of credit for some of the receiving yards over the past few games, but he is a very average receiver. In terms of, I don't think he's the kind of guy that you're really going to draw stuff up for. And that's fine. 
I think there are a lot of players that come out that are like that. But I think if we're talking about a guy that has, you know, the, when I look at NFL running backs for fantasy purposes, it's like a huge bell curve worth like 10% at the top can be a game changing running back in the NFL. 10% at the bottom stink and they're just there for bodies. Then the 80% in the middle is more or less the same player in terms of what they can give you. Their role might vary a little bit, but in terms of, you know, can they carry a backfield when put in that situation, depending on what the, what team they're on? Yes, potentially they can probably do that. And there's, you know, we've seen that a lot, a ton over the years of backs that get a handful of games. I mean, Amari DiMarcado wasn't even good in college and he's led an NFL backfield over the, this week and, and you know, played a little bit the, the previous week. So there, there are lots of players that I think fall into that middle 80%. And there's nothing wrong being in that 80%. It's it's good to have some of those guys on your roster. Somebody gets hurt, they can step right in. I think that's what Ollie Gordon kind of is. I think he's a guy that if he gets a shot in the NFL, he can be pretty good for a little bit. I don't think he's ever kind of guy that's going to get a big second contract or a team's going to want to really rely on him. I think part of it's because of his quote-unquote limited ceiling, air quotes going on here as I do this. Uh, as a receiver, but I think the other part is that he so far has displayed not very much wiggle at all, which I think is a pretty big concern. Uh, doesn't make a ton of guys missed. I, I miss, I pulled PFF has their elusive rating. I've read what it is, but it's not very like they don't actually tell you what it is. So I went and I just pulled all the running backs with the least 50 carries and then just took their missed tackles forced, you know, just. Divided them to get the rate. Like that's that's literally all I did. Just downloaded it all from PFF. Just did it myself. And of the about 200 players, and that it, I didn't filter out quarterbacks. So there are several quarterbacks in the list as well, but I don't think there were a ton, a lot higher than him. Um, but in terms of like the 200-ish players uh, who, who have at least 50 carries this year, Gordon is 75th in missed tackles force per carry. And elusive rating kind of had him in that range as well. So maybe that's just what their elusive rating is for PFF. I don't really know. There weren't a ton of good looking backs around him. We'll put it that way. Um, so I, I think I think those are the two things that really stood out to me as I was watching. And then kind of, you know, negative A dot, really not missing a ton, uh, forcing a ton of missed tackles. He's not, I think our athletic measurements on him are probably a little light but they're really bad in our athletic comparison database. And I don't think outside of some straight line speed where I think he's acceptable that there are a ton of other physical traits here that I love either. So I think this is a guy that's more like a fourth or fifth round NFL draft selection, likely as of today, if I had to predict, I don't think he's a serious contender for first, second, even really the third round right now. Um, I think he's more of a two down back. And again, Nothing wrong with that. Can be a solid NFL player at some point in his career. But I, it's not a guy that I would... If you are buying him, you are buying him for his CFF production over the next couple of years. And that's still very valuable. I've moved him up in the range of guys like Damian Martinez, Ashton Genty. They're in my high 20s. They're guys that I think, you know, what do I think about their NFL chances? I don't love them. But I don't hate them so much that I can just rule it out. And I think what they're giving you in the meantime is so valuable that that's fine. And so I put him in that range with those guys. I think we'll continue to see production from them because this is an offense that wants to run the ball anyway. I'm not that worried about them drifting away from the run over the next year or two. I, I 
don't think there's a huge chance of that happening. So Ollie Gordon, he's moved way up my rankings. And I'd, I'd be interested to see price on him. I haven't seen any Ollie Gordon deals go down since he's kind of started breaking out. We talked about him being a buy high on last week's show, meaning if somebody quoted you what felt like a slightly high price, it was probably okay to pay it because I think that price would continue to go up a little bit. I still think that's probably the case. It's only been one week since we said that. It's not like you know we're, we're moving these guys all over the place uh, based on one week. But I do think it, as the season goes on, if you do not buy him soon, it's going to get more and more difficult to, per, to, to, to buy. And at like a reasonable price. And I do think there is a point. I don't think you could send a first for him and get him. Maybe you can, but I think the Ollie Gordon owner probably is not selling to you for a first. So then you have to start asking yourself, well, what else would I want to give up for him? I don't know what else you would like. I, I don't know how much more of a first I would feel more than a first. I would feel comfortable giving up for a guy like him when I have these other questions about what he is as a player moving forward. So um, but again, top 30 back in C2C for me, like, yeah, I mean, I still really like the kid. I just, you know, but every year there's going to be a Damian Martinez and Ollie Gordon, a Ashton Genty that's that kind of steps up. And you just have to say, you know, at this point, the price is too much. Can I identify that guy for next year? And we'll see. We'll see on that. I do talk a little bit about uh, Makai Hughes, who's at Tulsa. I think he's a really interesting guy. He um, hasn't he hasn't been amazing. He's been RB40 over the past month, but he's been pretty good. He's I test he's looked pretty good. Slightly more elusive than a guy like Ollie Gordon, but not a ton. Can catch some passes. This is an offense that I think will continue to be pretty good this year and beyond. So I've moved him up into my top 50 backs overall for c2c i think he's a fairly safe investment moving forward and he might still be hanging out on your waiver wire depending on your league and then jonah coleman at arizona um i think is interesting 5'9, 225 uh he's like a four percent athlete he's i don't think he's an nfl level player but i do think he's attached to an offense that i think is going to be very productive over the next few years whoever is a quarterback doesn't seem like it matters they've got good receivers there at least one or two of them are going to come back for next year i think it's an offense that continues to click and so um I, I you know if he takes that job and holds it and it's his i think he's an interesting player i think i slightly prefer mikey hughes but coleman is is interesting too and he's just outside my top 50 backs so um, and coleman was a guy i had him ranked last year very lowly probably 120 140 range Bleated him this offseason, and now he's back in. So, um, you know, good for him there, uh, performing well for Arizona. I did ask in the NIL channel if anybody had some suggestions for things to talk about, either in Key Takeaways or Campus Life. I got a couple good suggestions. I think some of them are probably better suited for a discussion on Campus Life and less so on Key Takeaways. So, but I, and it was actually Nate Marquise that asked this, but I think, there was a lot of discussion about Drew Alar in the Discord this weekend in all the channels. NIL, you know, they're just a regular campus player talk. All, all of the, so many channels, there were, there were people talking about Drew Alar. So I figured I watched a large majority of the Penn State game. I've watched four full Penn State games this year. And I specifically, really, to watch Alar and Singleton. So I feel like I've 
kind of had a good read on how he's performed as the season goes on, has gone on and kind of the path that he's been taking. So I've, I, I, this is a good week to talk about him, I think. <clears throat> and he was not really very good this weekend. Like, I think we can just say it. And I don't think it's offensive to anybody to do that. 40% of his roughly 40% completion percentage, uh, low a dot, like under pressure for most of the day. So it makes sense was getting the ball out. He really only has one receiver that I think is capable of getting open deeper than that consistently anyway, with Keandre Lambert Smith. So, you know, team situation. I think that's point number one. I think we thought it would be better than it is this year. I think we thought Dante Cephas would come in there, maybe look good. We thought there was a chance that maybe Theo Johnson could finally take the next step. We thought the offensive line would be better. And so that running game would really, you know, set up play action and some of those things. The offensive line has not been that very good this year. They, they've kind of struggled to run the ball at times, get consistent push on that, that side of things. So I think any discussion of OR has to acknowledge all of those things. I think you always have to acknowledge situation when we're talking about a player. Um, and then, you know, before we kind of focus in on what, their issues are. Alar is a guy that I think if he wanted to stylistically play like Ben Roethlisberger or Josh Allen, which kind of some of the comps you see flown around, I think he could. But I don't think he's comfortable necessarily always playing like that. I think if you can kind of knock him off his spot at times, move him around, uh, you know, just make him uncomfortable. I think he struggles with that right now. And that's something that he can probably improve at. But I also think we talk about some of these quarterbacks, like they just don't want to play that way that's not how they play i think dante moore is another guy that we've talked about a little bit where he is certainly athletic enough to run around a little bit but he has no interest in doing it and i think more is way more extreme than alar but alar does not want to move like that which is kind of neutering two of his biggest pros which are that he's a pretty good mover and he's got you know this kind of this really good arm that if you kind of get him outside of structure get him rolling out of a pocket play breaks down a little bit, linebackers start biting in, all of a sudden he can kind of hit those guys that 15, 20, 25 yards down the field on some of those broken plays. He doesn't really want to do that. I'm and I'm I'm like I'm pretty sure on that. He just doesn't seem to want to go there when he's playing. So that's issue number 1. And if I had to guess how correctable that is, it is correctable or you know, in it it needs to be coaxed out of him. And I don't think this coaching staff is the one is the staff to do that for him. I don't I think they're too conservative to get that. So that's problem number one with him personally. I think the other one, this is such a vanilla offense, but he looks like he is not processing that well right now. At least at the line of scrimmage, pre-snap. And I think that is a pretty big issue for him because some of the stuff that he displayed in high school in terms of post-snap thrown into smaller windows, he's not doing well enough pre-snap to know when he can do that. And so he and the coaching staff, I'm sure, have probably just said, like, don't do that. Like, we're going to, you know, you're going to play it safe. You're going to, you know, testing kind of those intermediate middle of the field windows. He doesn't seem comfortable doing that right now. And so, you know, I think he needs a little bit of confidence. I think he, I think the coaching staff, everyone made fun of that guy last week who asked that question in the press conference about like, why don't you just let him throw like just sling it? There's some truth to that. At some point, they kind of just have to let him sling it. And they've had, they've played some crappy opponents and they did not allow him to do that. And now the schedule gets real. 
and he has no experience doing that, and they're certainly not going to let him do it now. So I think I think he's a hold. I think he has to be. Unless, unless, and I think this is where a little bit of the, my my cohort here at C2C is going to come in handy. They're going to continue telling you that the sky is not falling with Drew that everything's great. And I don't think the sky's falling, but I do think there are concerns. He's not been good this year. He's he, outside of maybe one game. He has not been good this year. But I think the other people here at C2C are going to continue to praise him and hype him and, and, and say that his value is still X. And if you have other league members who are paying attention to that, you can probably still sell Drew Alar to them at a decent price. I think generally speaking with players like Drew Alar, you should be trying to move them for NFL quarterbacks. Almost always. I try to keep, if I have a quarterback that people are valuing, who's young and unproven, I'll just turn him into a proven guy with a lower ceiling. That's usually the go-to move. I think it's the easiest one to pull off especially because you go to that team in your league that's in 11th place that has Jared Goff, a quarterback. You can say, you know, I don't know. You, they, they don't know how long Jared Goff's going to keep this job. They don't, you know, even when he's playing really well, what's he usually on the week? QB nine. Drew Alar has the, has, you know, QB one in 2025 potential. Your team stinks anyway. Why don't you make that tank job a little bit easier and send him my way? Those are the kind of moves that I think you should be making right now. And I do think, you know, I talk about the tier of quarterback that I'm looking at, but I think you just really have to go look at your league, the the worst teams in your leagues and go in them and see what's there and see what's available. There are some leagues where maybe you can't pull that trade off because the bottom teams don't have any options available. I've been in leagues like that and not just in this. I have a league, a league this year where like I, we have no waivers I need one more two CFF options to, to build some depth and the bottom four teams literally have nothing. So I can't, I can't go shop there. You might run into that, but I think you should be trying if you can just, and I maybe wait a week, probably smell a little desperate. If you show up to your league mate, trying to sell Drew Alara for this week, you hope for a bounce back. But I think that's the move for pretty much every quarterback including Caleb Williams, including Drake May. It just changes the kind of the, the, the value of target that you can probably go after. So I think the question that I sometimes get in DMs after this is, okay, well, I have this guy. Who should I trade him for? That's the wrong question. The, wrong, the right question is I'm just going to go to the worst teams in my league and see what they've got sitting and see if I can't convince somebody that they need to, to go into rebuild mode. That's the move that you have to make. Last two points in here this week. Strength of schedule stuff is really interesting. Nick, uh, uh, CFP Winning Edge, drops it in the uh, Discord and his channels every single week. And I think these are some offenses that are just really interesting to look at um, uh, in terms of just, you know, who has the easiest remaining schedule for passing offenses. Uh, top 10 in terms of easiest, number one being the easiest, Utah State. Fresno State, Texas A&M, Wyoming, Nevada, USF, SMU, New Mexico, Hawaii, San Diego State. There are obviously some offenses in here that we don't really care about at all. And there are actually potentially some surprise. Like, I don't know if I care about Texas A&M right now without Connor Wegman. Um, you know, Evan Stewart, I, we, we like him, obviously, but uh, they're at the, the peripheral pieces. I, I don't really know. But I do think this just shows that Utah State, Fresno State, 
USF, SMU are kind of offenses that are uh, buys right now if you need somebody for the end of the season. I think SMU specifically uh, is interesting and and I, I, mostly because they haven't consistently performed well this year. So I think that's you know a, a case where maybe somebody's sleeping a little bit on some of the pieces they have there. Um, I wouldn't pay up for the receivers just because on a week-to-week basis it tends to shift. I think Preston Stone is kind of the SMU guy that maybe you could go look at. Utah State's got two receivers. Go check both of them out. Fresno State's got multiple receivers as well. And maybe you invest a little bit in Mikey Keene to end the year. Uh, USF, you know, I think sitting down, looking at some of their options, seeing who's available out there could be interesting. And then Byron Brown is the guy there. Um, and USF and Utah State just should be noted. Uh, have their buy this week. So uh, do account for that if you're uh, paying up for a guy. And then uh, rushing defensive strength of schedule with one being the easiest left. It's also Utah State. They just play a real cupcake schedule down the stretch here. Sam Houston State, Fresno State, Jacksonville State, SMU, Northern Illinois, Nevada, Texas A&M, Massachusetts, and Hawaii. Um, You know, there are some guys in some of these offenses that are performing at a decent level. And if you have unlimited waivers and going after, you know, uh, a guy on UMass or, um, you know, a a school like that, I don't know. That's necessarily a bad move. The one guy that just really jumped out to me on this list, because I think again, too cheap because he was injured to start the year and didn't play that well is Malik Sherrod at Fresno. I still think he can be a RB one down the stretch for you. I still I still feel pretty good about that prediction. He's been pretty good since he came back. So and and kind of relegated Elijah Gilliam pretty quickly back to the bench. That's gonna do it for this week's key takeaway, guys. Again, thank you to you guys for tuning in every week and for being NIL or all 22 uh, members here with us at Campus Canton. I'll be back next week with week nine key takeaways. Uh, enjoy the rest of the week and make sure you uh, continue paying attention to the feed here. Uh, for the other shows that, that pop up during the week. Thanks, guys.